Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First, and I am so excited to invite back my friend and colleague, Dr. Terry Jackson. Now, if you want to know what Terry wanted to be when he grew up, you're going to have to go back and watch our first conversation and episode. We'll put the link into this one. But just as a little bit of context, Terry is a dynamic executive advisor, thought leader, TEDx speaker, and organizational consultant. He is also a fellow member of the 100 Coaches and was recently chosen by Thinkers 50 as one of the top 50 leaders in executive coaching. I'm honored to call him a friend and mentor. And today we're going to be exploring your new book. Look at that post it notes Co Creation <laughs> Leadership. But we'll yes. get to that in a moment. So, Terry, I know I already asked you what you wanted to be when you grow up. Let's do a, a reverse, you know, like Benjamin Button. If you mm. could reinvent your life and have a do-over, a be anything you want, what would you be? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and, and I think I'm going to be consistent when I speak of entrepreneurship. Right? It's always been a dream of mine to, to own my own, own business. Um, at a larger scale, right? And so the dream would be to be to have a, a smaller version of a McKinsey or a smaller version of a Booz Allen Hamilton. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Not necessarily for um, the money. It was to, to be in a position to be able to say, hey, your grandson just graduated from college. Let me give him a job until he decides what he wants to do. So it's more, it's more so about helping others and being able to provide, I, I think the greatest service that you can provide is to help others take care of their family. And uh, I, yeah. I when, love that. When, okay, yeah, it, it's, that's the greatest service. I mean, if you can provide, if you can help someone, put someone in a position where they can better take care of their, their families, what more can you do? So it's interesting that you say that, that act of servant leadership. I mean, that's one thing that stands in mind for me as I think about our conversations and your contribution right now. It connects to my fantasy job because mm. service is what it's all about. Because if I had the opportunity, it would be Star Trek, Star Trek, the next generation, certainly uh-huh. with Jean-Luc Picard as captain. But that whole point of we all serve on the Starship Enterprise, not for the money, but for the skills and the value we bring together. Yes. It's powerful. It's yes. powerful. So you taught there, it's the entrepreneurial core. If we cut you in half, it would say entrepreneur at heart all the way through right to the center. Yes, but it, you it, do it, have your mini McKinsey in the firm now. So what would be different to what you're doing now to this do-over dream vision that you have? It would be scaled more. It would, it would, be, it would be scaled more. It would be scaled more. Um, uh, more, more, more government business. Um, and again, the scale only allows the opportunity to provide one the opportunity to take care of their families. That's mm-hmm. that's it. More 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 scale, and so mm-hmm. growth. Right. The more you, the more you grow, the more people that you can bring aboard to to uh, uh, assist you and to assist clients. Um, the better the the better the better that it is, uh, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. Some people, you know, they look at it differently. Um, I've always thought that. You know, uh, whether it's revenue, whether it's profit, it's always a that's always a byproduct of your service. So I, I, I have a this belief that everything that I do is a byproduct of, uh, you know, of my service. If I'm offering good service then I'll be compensated well or and I'm not looking for that in return. But I mm-hmm. think that's that's always 
that's always the case, you know, by, yeah. by, by, by serving. Some people call them blessings. Some people call them lots of different things. Um, but what I will say is uh, it always the universe always finds a way to to provide those needs. And I just think all of that's a byproduct of how I serve. You're talking my language there, Terry, abundance and generosity of give and you shall receive in one way or another. It just speaks to my heart. And obviously it's at the heart of this book, Co-Creation <laughs> Leadership. I mean, it is though, isn't it? It's all about how can we be better together? And yes. you describe it here, helping leaders to tap into their superpower of co-creation. So let's just start there. What do you mean by co-creation? Other than it's a superpower, ready. <laughs> you know, um, as you said, it, we're better together, right? It's about abundance. Uh, before I answer your question, one of the things, I, one of the questions I like to ask is, you know, since we've been on this earth, what have we run out of? And the answer is really nothing. We haven't run out of anything. Why? Because we live in a on a planet of abundance, right? Scarcity is actually created by man for those who hoard, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they hoard, whether it's money, whether it's petroleum, whether it's it's silicone chips, whatever they hoard. Right. And they drive a price with that. But at, at, at the very fundamentals of, of, of us existing here, we live on a planet of pure abundance. Now, to get to co-creation. You know, co-creation, again, is always about the greater good, right? How mm-hmm. do we do what's what's the greater good, right? And, and for me, co-creation means the elimination of titles in such a way that it allows human beings to come together, to work together. And the reason I talk about the elimination of titles is because oftentimes in, a, in an organization, when you have titles, that sets up a superiority, inferiority kind of relationship, mm-hmm. the title in and of itself. And so I've been in rooms and I'm sure you've been in rooms where there are people who say, well, I really don't want to say what I want to say in front of my leader because of what could potentially happen mm-hmm. when you guys leave, right? And so the only, in my opinion, the only way to, to really address that is to really eliminate what those titles may be. It's human being to human being. And and let's take a look at what our needs are as as human beings, whether it's in an organization or whether their society needs. And let's do what is best for society or let's do what is best for the organization together without having to have the stigma of a relationship based on inferiority, superiority. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, we came here the same way. We're going to leave the same way. Right. And 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 everything should be shoulder to shoulder, right? Not the way that it is now with people having certain status because you know they've gone and earned an education, and it's as, as if they're not human beings. But what yeah. we're trying to settle is, and, and what we're trying to resolve are human issues that that we all as humans I agree. Uh, face. I mean, I, I love it. Again, it's the reason I wrote cultivate around the the human side of work. And in the future-proof workplace, if I go that way, we talked about the the need to move to a we focus and remove the politics silos and turf wars. But even as you talk about it there, I heard a lot of shoulds. This is what we should do. It's almost the antithesis of the politics silos and turf wars that are happening in any any organisation right now. 
So for a leader that's feeling boxed in or an employee who's feeling boxed in and limited by titles and the shoulds, how do we break free? How do we start moving towards co-creation in a way that isn't going to terrify the bosses or others? You know, I I think that uh, over the past year and a half to two years with the pandemic, the global pandemic, I think that should have shaken quite a few leaders. We, you know, there was more ambiguity and more uncertainty that was happening as a result of the pandemic. We've always lived in ambiguity and uncertainty. It just wasn't at a visceral level until mm-hmm. the pandemic happened, right? And so when we begin to think and, and respond as human beings, we understand that every step we take every day is a step into uncertainty and a step that is ambiguous because we never know when we raise the right foot, if the right foot is going to come down as we have been trained to walk, right? We take it for certain, but it is uncertain because anything can happen. We can fall at any given time, right? And so a lot of that should have been stripped away, right? We talk about emotional intelligence and we talk about a lot about compassion today, right? Well, that emotional intelligence as a human being tells me that I'm a very fragile being on this earth. Mm -hmm. My existence could be wiped out by something as simple or complex, however you look at it, as a virus, right? And so there's nothing, I couldn't see it coming. Don't know Mm -hmm. when I have it. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to go get tested. I may have had it and didn't know it. Mm -hmm. So that shows us our vulnerability, right? It shows us how insignificant we actually are as human human beings. I think that if a leader steps back and looks at what has actually happened, basically the shutting down of the global economy, people not going to work, people dying um, as a result of this, I think that they, they should be able to <laughs> reconstruct their mental models around what it means to be human and to understand that regardless of what my title is, COVID didn't care. No. It didn't discriminate whether you were wealthy uh, or or not wealthy. Um, For those who had underlying issues, for for some who had it, I think more than 700,000 people in the United States alone you know, passed because of the pandemic. And so it was non-discriminatory. And that in and of itself should have taught us a lot. As we saw these social justice movements, it should have told us that what we thought was normal wasn't working for a lot of people. And, I'm and we shouldn't yes, and we shouldn't we shouldn't go back to normal because normal didn't yeah. work for a lot of people. It right? Didn't. Yeah. And so we are actually in a new reality. And the new reality should be humanity, right? Not titles and status, but I, I see and hear a lot of us going back there. That was going to be my question. Yes. Yeah. But what's happening also is there's a whole side that's now rebuffing all of that, right? Well, that's the great resignation that we're experiencing right now. And I think the great resignation is unfortunately a poor, it's a great headline and a clickbait title. But I think it doesn't really do justice to what's actually happening. It describes the symptom of what's happening, 
but I would look at it more of it's the great recalibration. Yes. We've had that opportunity to reevaluate individually and collectively. What do we want? And do I want to be sitting on a train or in a traffic jam on I-25, spending an hour and a half getting to and from the office? No, thank you. I can be as a productive here. And this is the dilemma. It's the, do we go back to the old old way of working, which is you've got to be present and I've got to be able to see you every day? Well, hell, hang on a minute. We've just spent two years proving that for many um, office-based roles, we can do it virtually. That's right. So why are we insisting on return to the office and therefore the corresponding commute and the expense and all the ripple effects that go with it? To me, that's short-term and old-fashioned thinking as you describe it. So do you see the narrative changing? I mean, is it a push-pull that's happening here? You know, the status quo, and I always equate the status quo with the powers that be. In order to maintain that power, they have to maintain what was. We are it, it, The pandemic has shown us what is and what is possible. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a leader and, and, and you're supposed to be a visionary at the same time as you're a leader, you see what's possible and you know that it's possible to people to work virtually from home and still be productive. Mm-hmm. But there's a sense of power when you have people in a geographic location in which you can go see them, talk to them. We should be learning to empower people because that's what true empowerment is. True empowerment is being able to work in a virtual setting. Mm -hmm. And all these leaders say they want to empower their people. Well, those same, some of those same leaders are the ones now saying, let's come back into the office. That's about power and ego. Mm-hmm. That's not about humanity, right? Um, because there are people who are probably more creative and innovative as they are away from the office because there's certain elements of, of the political game that they don't have to deal with, right? Um, I found myself to be more productive in my PhD process as I did work from home. Mm-hmm. You know, I read more textbooks. Um, and I studied more versus being in a classroom all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I know it's capable. It takes discipline. But again, if you're about empowering your people, then you give them the tools to do such. We can't go back to the old way because it didn't work. We have to move forward into what the possibilities are and to explore that. And only the people can tell the leaders that. And that's when we start speaking about co-creation. How do we co-create, um, an environment in which there's trust, uh, in which there's empowerment, um, in which you just know that your people are going to produce as they they need to produce, and it's still going to make the organization you know profitable um, and, and better. And when you when you take a look at organizational culture, the probably the culture of the organization will be better, and probably people will be more open to communicating authentically. Mm-hmm. And given the, the office politics that they've had to, to deal with. So, you know, co-creation, this, 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 this book is really about, for lack of a better word, brainstorming, right? On a continual basis, tossing out ideas and working together. Now I've put together a recipe around this. Yes, you have. And what I love about the book, it's 140 short statements that are thought-provoking. So you have the core recipe, which I'll ask you to talk about in a moment, 
But supporting that are 149 statements, maybe I misread it, 140 statements, 140, that just trigger dialogue and conversation that you can have with your teams around what does this mean for us? Here's Dr. Jackson's definition, but what does that mean and how do we apply it here? So tell us about the recipe then and what that stands for. You know, that was an interesting story because as I was thinking about writing this book, I was having a conversation with a friend and I was speaking I kind of tossed out some terms that were important to me around being in, in corporate America. And as I tossed out these terms, these terms spelled recipe. And I had never written it down to understand it before. And it was it was interesting because I like working with acronyms. Mm-hmm. The recipe just became the acronym for this particular framework for the book. And if we think about it, not only from a corporate perspective, or from a can we look at recipe? But each of us has a recipe every morning when we work up, when we when we wake up around how we go go about getting ourselves together on a day-to-day basis. You have a recipe as to how you approach your podcast, right? There's certain things you do, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, to ensure, and you check off the list to ensure that you've checked all the boxes, everything is in place, and now. We're going to move forward and everything should work well. Well, that's your recipe for your podcast. So not only is it for an organization, but you can use it as an individual, right? Because Mm -hmm. when you think about recipe, you're thinking about, you know, cooking something, putting a little pinch of this and a little pinch of that in the pot and stirring Mm -hmm. it all together so that it comes out tasting well. Well, your taste well in your podcast is that you have an excellent podcast with the excellent guests. You cover all the the the, uh, the significant points that you want to cover, and and everything goes well. That's your recipe, and it's co-creation because, of course, a podcast is nothing without the two of us. <laughs> That's right. Otherwise, it's just a monologue and a little bit dry. I would have thought co-creation is the way of the world. We just never noticed it. Yes. So you know, rest- mm-hmm. recipe stands then for. The six elements, isn't it? Six yes, there's elements. Six elements yeah, there are six elements to, to it. And you have revolutionary results. Okay. You have execution, which is, of course, top of mind for everyone, because that's probably the number one challenge in corporate America. You have culture. And we know that that's how organizations work. They work through their culture. That's how they get things done. That's how they think. That's how they see. Intention, right? Intention. What are we, what are, what are we here for? You know, mm-hmm. how, as you said earlier, how does that impact us? Well, it impacts us based upon why we are here, right? Purpose, which kind of intention kind of spills over into, and then evolution. And what I like about the evolution is because the evolution means that you're continuing to grow. You're continuing to challenge whatever your status quo is within your organization or society, and you're evolving as an organization, as society, as human beings. It's the constant e- evolution of, of us as thinkers, as doers, um, as seers, um, as producers. Mm-hmm. So I've put them on the bottom. I was just testing this functionality. Look at that. <laughs> I see. And as I was listening to you describe them, though, they're not necessarily, I mean, it's fabulous that they give you the acronym recipe as a way to memorize them. But the intent isn't that I'm following them in this order. It's I can dip and dive and iterate through these six elements, depending on where my team is, the problems are solved, the change we're trying to instill in our hearts and obviously in our hands in the doing. 
Absolutely. And that's why, you know, I created it as a circular system, right? In a pot. Um, the graphic, you know, displays that. Yeah. And again, whether you're an organization that's going through it on your own, whether you have a consultant that's, that comes in and goes in it, you can, it's an entry point. It's an entry mm-hmm. point to begin the, the conversation. You can enter it results. You can enter it intention. You can enter it per, any way you can enter the conversation. But ultimately, the conversation is a circular conversation because you're going to cover every element of the recipe. All right. So I'm listening. You've piqued my curiosity. How and when do I know that I need to get a copy of co-creation leadership? How do I how do I know I need it? And how do I how do I start? Well, I would say that if you're going to be engaged with another human being, regardless of who you are, what your position may be, if you're going to engage with another human being on a project, regardless of what the project is, you need co-creation. Okay. So hermits need not apply. Well, no, hermits hermits need not apply. But if everybody they else change, if they choose to change. Then, they, they, then it's they, a re-entry plan for coming out of your cave or wherever you've been, spent your time in isolation and in reflection. All right. So for absolutely. all of us, we need to get it. And then how do we start? What's the first step? You know, I would I would probably ask the question, um, what is the most challenging problem I'm facing today? Because you can, you can, you can, you can narrow it down. It's, Regardless of what you narrow it down to, I can tell you, I can take you to three areas, right? Time, team, and money, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at recipe, it's going to be culture, what your purpose is, the kind of results that you're driving. And ultimately, for the most part, it's going to be results. Am I getting the results that I, I need? To, so we need to examine that, right? And then you need to connect the dots to the other. How is our culture impacting the results that we're driving? What about our intention and our purpose? What about our execution, right? If we're not executing well, how do we need to go back over those processes or redesign those processes in order to be a more effective executioner as an organization, as a society, or as an individual? So, Terry, I know there's loads of resources out there. I was watching some of your videos earlier on today. Um, But for those listening, how can they learn more about you, your work, and obviously the resources that support co-creation leadership? Well, thank you for sharing the, the book. Um, you, LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I do a lot of work on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Terrence Jackson, PhD. Uh, I have some YouTube uh, pieces out there, which I've, I've I had a, a TED Talk and some other pieces. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, I saw a piece on LinkedIn just the other day that we shared. It was the, our first uh, podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yes. Yeah, I keep yes. showcasing that one. That was yes. a good one. Yeah, so... <laughs> So, you know, you can you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook, you know, if, if you Google me. Uh, of course, you can go to Amazon to purchase the book, uh, yeah. Co-Creation uh, uh, Leadership. And, of course, you can go to the 100 Coaches website. And and and, and I'm grateful and, and, and um, how else I would like to describe this? I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be amongst great minds and great people. Uh, in this whole space of coaching and and, and, and and people development, right? People like you and others in the 100 coaches. And so, you know, having been noticed to be one of the top 50 executive coaches by Thinkers 50 is a, is a grand honor because this is the second time. The first time was 2019, now 2021. Uh, I'm just grateful. And it's people like you 
and others and and 100 coaches that, that that actually support me, encourage me, and um, uh, serve as my mentor uh, as I, as I look out to who I want to be and what I want to do, and look at your skill sets and say, hey, you know, I need to get, I need to learn more from this person. I need to learn more from from this colleague. And so I, I thank you. But that's that's how you can you can you can find. We'll make sure all that information is included in the show notes. Terry, thank you for your repeat performance here on People First. I value our friendship and I value the insights that we create yes. together. So thank you. And I look forward to seeing you in three dimensions at some point in the near future. At yes. least I hope so. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.